0: Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Hi everybody, welcome to our AMI monthly market update. I'm joined again uh, by Bob Parker, our chairman. Bob, thanks for for joining us again uh, this month. We are at the end of uh, October 2021, and uh, my general impression is that the topic we've raised, the topics we've raised last time, are still very relevant to investor, i.e., inflation. Is it? short-term inflation or long-term inflation china's slowing economy and uh, real estate bubble deflating but i wanted to maybe give you a, a, the opportunity to just give us an overview what you think uh, what, what's on investors mind at, at this stage at the end of october thank you arthur since really the beginning of september we've seen actually
1: i think some very interesting changes in markets I'll talk about those changes in a moment but to address um, the first question you raise which is where do we stand on inflation and the key question as to whether the rise in inflation is transitory or not obviously that is the critical question for investors and capital markets in the end of this year and in early 2022 you know clearly if we look at the headline inflation numbers and behind those numbers the producer price numbers clearly we've seen you know a very dramatic increase in inflation in a number of economies so if for example we look at headline consumer prices in the united states they are currently up 5.4% year on year in the eurozone they are up 3.4% and actually in the eurozone in germany Consumer prices are rising at a more rapid rate in the UK. Um, I think a number of temporary factors have actually curbed the latest inflation number at three point one percent. But uh, the Bank of England has been giving you know, clear signals that they expect inflation to move to four percent plus in the coming months. And if we look at you know a number of other economies, you know clearly the inflation numbers are seriously elevated. And, you know, I'm thinking of um, economies like Brazil, where inflation is running at over 10 percent, Russia, where inflation is running at over 7 percent. And actually, the one exception to this is actually a number of Asian countries. So, for example, Chinese inflation, consumer prices there are still fairly subdued. And in fact, in India, where inflation went up a few months ago, recent data shows actually that inflation pressures are easing somewhat. If we look at producer prices, the figures actually are even more alarming. So, for example, in the eurozone, producer prices are increasing at over 13% year and year. And in the States, you know, the number is uh, close to 9% year on year. And even Japan, which is a low inflation economy, producer prices are running at over 6%. Now those headline numbers obviously are heavily distorted by what's happening in energy markets and some other commodity markets, and you know with Brent oil trading at uh, over eighty-five dollars a barrel, West Texas Intermediate trading over eighty dollars a barrel, and also there has been a lot of discussion about high gas prices, and you now that is particularly the case in Europe where you know gas prices are trading at close to 90 euros per megawatt so you know that that rise in energy prices is one factor and given the demand supply balance in energy I think it's likely those gas and oil prices will stay elevated, at least as we go into the first quarter of next year. So I don't see any immediate short-term reversal in energy prices, and that in turn will keep headline consumer prices high. If one looks at other factors, clearly... The recovery in demand is a factor. Uh, the expansion of public expenditure is also boosting demand. And you know, one has to recognize that we have labor market shortages in a number of economies, and we have supply chain disruption. And arguably, that supply chain disruption is reflected in those very high producer prices that I referred to a moment ago. Now, as we move into... 2022, I'm assuming that supply chain disruption and labour market disruption will ease. But the key question is, how quickly will it ease? And I think the answer to that, which a number of central bankers, I think, are now starting to recognise, is that those two factors of supply chain disruption and labour market disruption are probably only going to ease slowly. And therefore, I think it's a sort of central case scenario that we will see at the middle of 2022 US inflation, consumer prices still running at three to three and a half percent. And in the Eurozone, prices probably close to three percent, certainly above two and a half percent. And I think also some increase in inflation in Asia. So Chinese inflation, perhaps up to two to three percent, Japanese inflation close to two percent. So I think, you know, in looking at that very important question, I think the inflation has increased significantly. I think it is fair to say it has increased by more than central bankers had expected. I also think that The comment from a number of central bankers that inflation is transitory, i.e. that it will come down reasonably quickly, regrettably, I think the factors behind inflation probably mean that the pace with which it comes down will be very slow. I think just the other factor which you asked about as a a background point is what's happening with the Chinese economy. And we had the GDP numbers with um, a slowdown in Chinese growth year on year to 4.9%. That was lower than market expectations. One factor in the slowdown in Chinese growth is obviously deflation in the real estate market and You know, whereas in most economies, real estate prices are rising and rising quite sharply. So, for example, in the States, real estate prices are up close to 20 percent year on year. And, you know, in certain economies, like, for example, Germany and the UK, uh, we're seeing sharp increases in real estate prices. That's not the case in China. China is exactly the opposite. And obviously one critical factor uh, where one needs to discuss contagion risk is the Evergrande restructuring and the fact that it is late in paying coupons on its uh, US dollar bonds. And we've seen a number of other Chinese uh, development real estate development companies which have failed to make coupons payments on their bond issuance. And that, in turn, is, I think... Leading to a slowdown in the Chinese real estate market. I don't think you would say it's a crash, and I don't think there will be a crash in the Chinese real estate market. And I define a crash as, uh, you know, perhaps a decline in prices of close to twenty percent over a six month period. At the moment, prices are flat over the last few months. I think some modest decline in real estate prices in China is likely, but People's Bank of China is injecting liquidity to support the economy and prevent any further slowdown. So I think one background factor, yes, there is a significant problem in the Chinese real estate market, but I am confident that Chinese growth over the next six months, the uh, next two quarters, We'll probably average just over 5%. So we're not going back to 8% growth, but I think sort of discussions of Chinese growth decelerating significantly, we are still going to get 5%, which is reasonable growth for the Chinese economy. So that addresses the background factors. I don't know if you want to, uh, to move on to more specific questions, Arthur.
0: Actually, I wanted to ask you another question on inflation, if I may, because, I mean, it's a transition to the the other theme, central bank policies. But the way we've described inflation nowadays seems to be related to, of course, monetary policies, which are quite accommodative, but also short-term issues, as you mentioned, supply chain bottlenecks, which are, let's say, reinforced by the issue tied with, with Brexit in the UK, but also labor shortages. How can you know raising rates address or the energy crisis as well, which is something uh, very specific. so i'm I'm just thinking from central bank perspective, why would raising rates address this type of inflation? At the same time, from a central bank policy perspective, I imagine you can want to raise rates so that you can lower them again if there is indeed a slow in, in growth in the short term or short medium term. But how would raising rates address those very specific sources of inflation that that seems to be unrelated to the monetary policy? I think you have to look at the following factors. Uh, The first factor
1: is the level of liquidity in the various major economies. Um, And obviously, that level of liquidity has been boosted over the last year and a half by the quantitative easing programmes. And, you know, the best way of quantifying that is to look, you know, at the balance sheets of the key uh, central banks, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, Bank of Japan, Bank of England, and the People's Bank of uh, China. If you look, for example, at... You know the, the the balance sheets of both the ECB and the Federal Reserve over the last fifteen months, they have, for all intents and purposes, doubled in size. So there is an extreme amount of liquidity in the world's financial system. That is reflected, I think, in you know a number of indicators. So the first indicator is obviously the very low level of government bond yields and associated with that tight credit spreads, and also negative real yields. So, you know, coming back to the examples of the Eurozone and the states, you know, in the states, we have 10 year US Treasury yields at 1.6%, inflation at 5.4%. So you now that's a negative real yield of close to 4%. Likewise, in the Eurozone, you know, if we look at 10 year bond yields, which are still negative, you know, Admittedly, we're, you know, we've come in, we're now only about minus 13 basis points. But again, you know, we've got a negative real yield in the eurozone if we compare booms with eurozone inflation of over three and a half percent. So I think you know, the first observation is liquidity management. You know, there has been this surge in liquidity that's reflected in low fixed income yields and tight credit spreads. And just to quantify that on tight credit spreads, we now have the market CDX, five-year investment grade US dollar spread, uh, close to 50 basis points. So you know, that is near a historic low level in terms of the tightness um, of that spread. I think the interesting question is to what extent, rather than talking about interest rate changes, but to what extent central banks will actually start to reduce that level of liquidity. And I think the answer is yes, they're going to do it. And the Federal Reserve meeting in November will probably announce that quantitative easing will be tapered with an aim to ending the program probably in July or August in 2022. So it's going to be a very slow process of ending the program. But rather than adding 120 billion US dollars a month to its balance sheet through US Treasury and mortgage bank securities purchases, by the end of this year, they'll probably be down to around 90 billion US dollars a month. So liquidity is going to be slowly reduced um, in the financial system. And likewise, the ECB, not necessarily immediately, but I think as we close this year and go into early 2022, its monthly asset purchases could well be reduced to approximately 50 billion euros per month from the recent level, which has been over 80 billion euros a month. So I think the first answer to your question is liquidity management, And central banks, I think, are going to move slowly in reducing that liquidity which is being injected into the global economy. That, in turn, might have, and I emphasise the word might, have an impact on inflationary expectations, And obviously, it takes away some of the supporting factors for the very high asset prices that we have, whether it be fixed income, whether it be equity markets, commodity markets. So I think it will take out some of the ammunition in boosting asset price valuations. And that, in turn, could have a slow impact on improving inflationary expectations. Obviously, by raising interest rates, You know, that is essentially the cost of money. And by increasing the cost of money from, albeit very low levels at the moment, that in turn could have an impact on aggregate demand and on inflationary expectations. But I think to answer your question, that relationship between raising interest rates and the impact on inflation could be drawn out. And if you look back at periods of high inflation in the past, and I'm thinking here, you know, of the United States and Europe, you know, in the 1980s, interest rates had to move to being positive in real terms, and quite significantly positive to stop inflation taking off. And, you know, at the moment, coming back to my earlier comment, we have very significant levels of negative rates. So I don't see a slow process of quantitative easing tapering by most central banks, or a slow process of raising interest rates. I think the impact on inflation is going to be very drawn out. And that comes back to my uh, earlier comments that this rise in inflation, I think the the numbers on inflation are going to stay
0: higher and for longer. How do you perceive the, the energy crisis in this trend of like higher inflation for longer? Because it seems to me that it highlights that transitioning to to net zero is 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 quite complicated, and we're not there yet. At least we we realize that there is this very specific post COVID issue with uh, with stocks, of course, and it's hard to adjust it. And also, you're dealing with OPEC, and they don't necessarily want to have the barrel uh, extremely extremely low at a, or a medium price, so there there is mm. a, a interest there as well. But do you think that the transition towards A more sustainable economy might add to in the long term add to inflation and pressure uh, on, on prices generally speaking is that is that is that one of the lessons we can draw from this energy crisis or is it too early to tell well, I think a number of factors. I
1: think you know, the first factor is that if we look at the European supply of wind energy during August and September, you know, the, the, the change in the climate actually meant that the supply of power from that source temporarily came down. I think that's going to reverse over the next couple of months. I think another factor is that Due to climate change, a number of countries have experienced droughts. So, for example, hydropower availability from Scandinavia has been reduced. There has been a very significant drought in Brazil, so their hydro availability has been reduced. And that, in turn, meant that Brazil had to import liquid natural gas from the United States, which in turn, therefore, you know, increase the demand for U.S. gas. Uh, you know, likewise, China has been trying to curb its coal output and also heavy energy-consuming sectors such as steel. But, you know, the reduction in coal output in China, and coal accounts currently accounts for about 80% of Chinese electricity production. So curbing coal output has meant that China was a bigger importer of gas, and that in turn, put pressure not just on Asian gas prices, but also on European gas prices. And, you know, we have to also note that there is a political argument going on about the opening of the Russian pipeline to Germany, Nord Stream 2, as at today, that still is not functioning. So that's a result. The supply of Russian gas to uh, the European market is not as great as it might be. So strong demand and those sort of slip supply disruptions have resulted in very high levels of gas prices, and that in turn has had a contagion effect on boosting oil prices. Now, having said all of that, I think over the months to come, we probably will see an increase in Russian supplies to Europe. It's unfortunate ahead of the COP26 meeting, but a number of countries such as India and such as China have stated recently that because they have energy shortages, they have got to reverse their policies towards carbon emitting industries such as steel and and in the case of China and India, their coal industries. So, you know, the planned reduction in coal output in those two economies is actually reversing. In terms of the oil market, OPEC Plus is assuming that, yes, we have a demand-supply imbalance in oil markets at the moment, i.e. too much demand and too little supply. But OPEC Plus are assuming that that actually will switch in the first quarter of next year. So I think there's a high probability that these very elevated levels of energy prices that we have at the moment, as we go into at least the second quarter of next year, i.e. the spring of the northern hemisphere, that we will see some easing in energy prices. But you know, will oil uh, North Sea Brent trade back down to $70 a barrel over the next couple of months? I think the answer is no, because we still have excess demand over supply. So Energy prices will stay elevated. And, you know, to come back to your earlier question is, you know, will higher interest rates cause a reversal in energy prices? The answer is, I think you would need a very significant rise in interest rates to achieve that. And central banks certainly don't have the appetite to raise rates quickly or by a significant amount. And, you know, the current consensus is the Federal Reserve will probably start to raise rates in the middle of next year. And by the end of next year, we will only have a federal funds rate of 50 to 75 basis points. And we might get one increase from the ECB. But you know, we're still going to be in an environment of very significant negative real rates, which is good for global growth. But it means that any downturn in inflation, as we said earlier, is going to be minor and it's, it's going to take a long time. So unfortunately, I think higher levels of inflation are here to stay. And that fits very much with that outlook for energy markets.
0: Maybe looking at, at markets, not specific markets, I was curious to see that the VIX is at currently around 14 or 15. We right. uh, see the equity markets, I think, are, are still on their high and rates are going, going up again. What do you make of All of this. Does it mean that investors are anticipating that indeed there's a change in monetary policies? They've anticipated that, so rates are going up. But volatility and equity volatility is low and equity market are high just because there's still hope that growth we're right in the middle of a growth cycle and there's still room for for companies to grow an equity market as well. what what is your take on the current situation and where, where we stand on all those indicators? Uh, We had very
1: difficult equity market conditions um, in September and um, early October. And that was, I think, largely due to changed expectations of Fed and ECB tapering. We talked about the problems in the Chinese real estate market. So as a result, equity returns actually for the month of September in most markets were actually negative. Now in early October, and you know, as as we close October, that, that has actually changed. And, you know, we now have, as you referred to, you know, the S&P breaking new records and most other equity markets advancing quite strongly. So October will be a month in contrast to September of positive equity market returns. And I think the driving factor is that we have had good corporate earnings results No, for the third quarter, and those results obviously are currently being reported. And you know, if we look at the states, the S and P 500 corporate earnings results year on year will probably be up by over 30 percent. In the eurozone, corporate earnings results year on year could easily be up by 50 percent. Now, to some extent, that is distorted by the very strong recovery in the energy sector, but elsewhere. You know, we're seeing strong results, not just in Europe and the States, but also Japan, in industrials, in materials companies, and also in consumer discretionary. Consumer staples is a laggard, but consumer discretionary, we are seeing a good improvement in results. Now, clearly, corporate earnings results over the next year are going to moderate, but the consensus, which I think is right amongst investors is that you know if we look at the 12 months from today that european corporate earnings results will still be over 15% year on year and in the states between 10 and 15%. So you no know, above historic averages. So yes the global economy in 2022 will moderate. Yes corporate earnings are slowing down, but they're slowing down from a very high level and the outlook for earnings and for growth I think one can still paint a fairly positive picture on that front. And I think just on the, on the growth outlook, at the last IMF and World Bank meetings, the IMF in its last quarterly review, you know, is still forecasting for 2022, world output rising by 4.9% and 4.5% for the advanced economies. And linked into that global corporate earnings growth of you know close to 15%, you have still got you know, a fairly positive picture. And again, it comes back to my point about the unattractive yield levels that we have in fixed income. Uh, and to come back to your question about, well, if rates are going up... And yields are going up. Isn't that bad for equity markets? And I think the answer is it certainly slows the pace of advance in equities. But when we have these very significant negative real yields, it is very difficult to put forward a positive case for fixed income investment when you are generating
0: minus 4% per year in, in real terms. We haven't discussed the next meeting of the Fed and the ECB.
1: Um, I think what one can comment on is that um, markets are discounting that the Fed will announce a tapering of its quantitative easing program. That is, as I mentioned earlier, 120 billion a month. I think they will make two announcements that they will probably reduce it progressively till July next year, July, August next year, and they will probably take it down So that it is less than 100 billion per month uh, by the end of 2021 and then progressively reduce it further. The ECB, I think, has to recognize that there is an inflation problem building up in the eurozone. But I think they're going to be behind the Fed and they'll probably only start to uh, reduce their asset purchases towards the end of the year. So I think somewhat of a time lag behind with the ECB being behind uh, the Federal Reserve. I think just a couple of comments on other central banks. The People's Bank of China are injecting liquidity into the Chinese economy. That's partly in response to trying to avoid or minimize contagion risk from the problems in the real estate market and also trying to maintain growth at 5% plus for the foreseeable future. In the UK, there is discussion about the Bank of England raising interest rates. I think they probably will raise rates by the end of this year although not necessarily immediately and you know it's entirely possible that the Bank of England could raise rates two or three times by the end of 2022 particularly if headline inflation early next year is 4% plus which you know the Bank of England has said there is a high probability of uh, that occurring
0: well, thank you. Thank you, Bob. Uh, I think we can we can finish on that note and uh, take stock of what the ECB, the Fed and all our central banks will, will decide next month. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us and we'll speak again by the end of November. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org.